we are in Exodus 40. You know what's amazing? We're finishing up Exodus. And this month we'll be starting Leviticus. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing. Um, I just want you to know that when you go down into the fellowship hall during coffee hour, there's a, a bookshelf in there, and there's a bunch of books on it. Those are all free books. So if you go through it and you find a book you like, you'd like to take home, grab it, and it's yours. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and how thankful we are that uh, whatever baggage we carry, whatever sin clings to us, whatever discouragement that weighs down our heart, we can bring before you, and you will wash us clean and fill us with the love and the purpose of your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that we as a body, as your church, would gather together this morning for no other reason than to worship you and to hear from you and to be encouraged by your word. And so now, Lord, anointing, use me as your servant to these your people, I pray in Jesus, Yeshua's name, amen and amen. You know, yesterday was, uh, last evening was kind of neat, and uh, this happens often for us, which we're very thankful for. But uh, my son Frank, his two youngest children, Mallory and Brookie, who you all know, and they're actually Vianites, they're our two youngest granddaughters, and in fact, we call them the Littles. Everybody does, oh, the Littles are coming over. And uh, anyway, they came over last night, and uh, they came in, the first thing they did, of course, is they put on a little ballet for us. They have a, usually a show that they're doing for us. And then we taught them how to balance a stick. Remember when you were young? They do all the old-fashioned things, you know, how to balance a stick in your hand. And then we uh, took a piece of paper and wadded it up to make a ball, and we played fish, fowl, or animal. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember what that game is, but you stand around in a circle, and you have this little ball of paper, and you throw it at the person, not hard, you throw it at the person, they have to catch it, and when you throw it, you say, fish. And within three seconds, they have to name a fish. And if fowl, within three seconds, they have to name a bird. Animal, within three seconds, they have to name an animal. And if they missed, they're out. And then we played that for a while, and then they wanted to go upstairs, and they wanted to watch balancing acts. And, and we go up, and we have a little love seat up there, and he already had Vi and Mallory and Brookie sitting on it. And when I finally came up, Brookie says to me, Pop, up, there's room here for you, too. So I snuggle in, and we watch some balancing acts. And then after they left, by an hour saying, we're, we're the most blessed people in the world. I mean, Frank and Nikki live right there, and it's like the old-fashioned days that the, our grandkids can just walk over, you know, and, and hang out with us and like that. And we're, we're saying, how wonderful it is to just have your kids come, your grandkids come, and just spend time with you. And I was thinking, as I was going over the message after they left, that's what God wants from us. We live on the same compound, and God just wants us to enter in and do our little silly performances for him, and to just want to be with him and to worship him. And it blesses his heart and soul. Well, he is God. And so as we go over this portion of Scripture today, understand that we as the church and we as individual believers are called to have fellowship with God. So beautiful. Now, one of the things that we're going to explore as we cover this portion of Scripture, which is Exodus chapter 40, and I'm covering verses 1 through 16 this morning, and then Pastor Frank Jr. will pick up in, uh, on verse 17 in the next service. It's all about how we can enter the most holy place. That's what this portion is all about, and to have that kind of intimate fellowship with God, the kind of fellowship where you're just with Him, just loving Him and loving His presence. And it shows us how we can approach 
our great God and Savior. I mean, we have that privilege. Anytime we want, we can approach our great God and Savior. And we have to remember that what Jesus said in John 14, 6, where he said, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, is that Jesus is our way into the holy place, into the holy of holies. Jesus is our way. He's the one who leads the way. He's the one who provides for the way. He is the curtain that's been torn asunder. He is the way in. And so always remember what a beautiful thing it is to call yourself Christ one. That's what Christian means. You belong to Christ. How awesome is that? Now, the tabernacle is very important for the Jews, and of course, in a symbolic way, in a metaphorical way, it's very important for us because the tabernacle is where the people met with God, where his presence was. And I left the, the video on here, or the picture on here of the... Um, I wanted to find my little thing just so I could use my pointer, but I don't know where it is. I, I'm always thrilled when I get to use my pointer, and I can't find it now. But anyway, it's all right. But remember the, the uh, pillar of cloud by day? and the pillar of light by night that led the children of Israel. Some theologians believe, because remember the presence of God. Am I doing, do I need something? What's that? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. <clears throat> but some people think that the presence of God then settled over the holy place, because it tells us between the, the cherubim of, of the mercy seat was the very presence of God. And so some think that it was actually the light, the fire of God that lit the Holy of Holies. Because the, the material that was used to the, for building the actual tabernacle itself was so dense and thick. And remember, it was layer upon layer that when you went inside of it, there would be absolutely no light at all. None. And I don't know how many of you have ever been to Howe's Cavern, and it's close by. It's an awesome trip to take. And I remember when uh, Frank uh, uh, was with us, Frank and our daughter Stacy, they were just little. In fact, Frank had a, a little bear he carried. His name was Rocky. He was Rocky. He was, a, he was actually, a, what are the things called with the rings around the end? Well, he was Rocky the raccoon, and he carried Rocky. And um, you go down there, and you actually get in a boat in this underground river, and then you're going along, and then the guy is talking to us, the guide, and then what he does is he turns the light out says, oh, I, I dropped the light, I don't know. Well, when the light goes out in House Cavern, you can't see your hand in front of your face. It's like that. You can't see anything. And that's how it would have been in the tabernacle. There would have been absolutely, absolutely no light entering in at all. And so the candlesticks or the menorah was the only light in the holy place. And that's why it had to be continually attended by the priest. The light had to continually be shining. But in the Holy of Holies, they believe it was literally the light of God, the pillar of fire <clears throat> that came down and settled on the mercy seat that lit the Holy of Holy place. So I think that's a great illustration there. Now, um, the tabernacle of God, as I mentioned, the Jews wanted, it was the children of Israel wanted the tabernacle of God as, as it was the place they met with him. And so it's very important for you and I as well to realize that God desires to provide a place for us to meet with him. And the interesting thing is, it tells us that we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. 
you and I. He dwells within our heart, our cardia in the Greek, where do we get cardiac from? He dwells within our heart. And so he desires for us to have fellowship with him. But in order to have fellowship with him, we have to set the world aside. We have to set all the trappings of this world, all the distractions of this world, and worship God in our heart, which requires quietness before the Lord. Not a lot of busyness, but just take time to be quiet and to be alone with God. I mean, we should be in a state of prayer all the time. I mean, oftentimes during our day, we need to be praying. But we also need to have that time when we're just quiet before the Lord and we just enter into that Holy of Holies. And the reason we go in is so that we can praise Him. Because one of the things that we have to realize is this. Life is never a matter of our circumstances, but our position with God. Let me say that again. Life is never a matter of our circumstances, but our position with God. Because so often we're so distracted. Oh, this is going on. That's going on. Oh, I have this problem. I have that. Oh, 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 oh. That's not what life is about. It's about our position with God, our worship, our relationship with Him. And that's the thing that we have to understand. Because I would rather have a place to meet with God in my heart than all the luxuries and trinkets and, fr- and, and frivol of this world. Wouldn't you? I mean, you think of all the things that this world dangles in front of us to try to distract us. I'd rather have a relationship with God. I'd rather have peace with God than all of that. And I love what it says in Psalm 84, verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, that's a servant, the lowest of servants, um, than dwell in the tents of wickedness, in the tents of of the princes is what that's referring to, of wealthy, wealthy people. And he's saying, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. A doorkeeper was the one who washed the feet of the people as they came in to the house. A doorkeeper wasn't even allowed to eat with the other servants because their, their hands were considered unclean because they washed the feet. And he said, I'd rather be that doorkeeper. One day with you, I'd rather be that doorkeeper than to dwell in the tents of the wealthy with all the opulence that might be before them. What a beautiful, you know, encouragement that is to us. So we're picking up in Exodus 40, starting with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, that's the beginning of the year, that would be their new year, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Uh, That means in the Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah. And anyway, um, one of the things that's interesting that we'll get into later on in scripture that the new year for the jews was between uh, april and may the month of nisan and later on it was changed to the fall and that's when the new year is now for the jews but we'll get to the reasons for that later on on the first day uh, on the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the ten of meetings in other words they'd never set it up before so the first day that this tabernacle would be set up, set up when it's a new time in relationship for the Jews with God, when they could enter in, you know, to, to the holy place, the high priest could, and make intercession for them. I mean, how exciting that would have been. Verse 3, and you shall put in it, this is the uh, tabernacle, the ark of the testimony. Now, one of the things you'll notice as we read this portion, it's not going from, you know, the camp into the outer court, into the holy place, into the holy of holies. It's not coming in. The description we're seeing is coming out. 
as God comes out and meets us. He's the one who reaches out to us. I think that's awesome. And you shall put on you shall put in it and you shall put in it the ark of the testimony, okay? Uh, and the partition uh, and partition off the ark with the veil. Now you notice he just says the veil because he already gave description of how the veil was to be made, you know, the different kinds of materials and cherubim to be, to be woven into it. And so he just calls it the veil, recognizing the children of Israel should know exactly what he's talking about. And you shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it, and you shall bring in the lampstand, the menorah, and light its lamps. Uh, you shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. And then you shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle, the tent of meetings. Uh, you shall set the, the lever between the tabernacle of meetings and the altar and put water in it. And you shall... We'll talk about that a little bit. It's really pretty awesome what that is. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it uh, and all uh, its utensils and all, uh, it, all of it shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offerings and the utensils and consecrate, consecrate the altar and it shall be most holy. Verse 11, and you shall anoint the lever and its base and consecrate it. You notice everything's anointed, all the utensils of worship. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. And you shall put the holy garments on Aaron um, and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. And you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me <clears throat> as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Remember last week I pointed out how many times it says, and Moses did all that the Lord had commanded him. That's why he was a friend of God. Everything the Lord commanded him, he did. Now, the first day of the month, that is the, the month of Neostin, which is our April-May, and you can find this in Exodus chapter uh, 12, 2, and Exodus 13, 4. And one year, after that, this would be one year after their departure from Egypt. And we know that they took three months to reach Mount Sinai, because we can determine this th through Scripture, what the exact timing is. And... Um, so anyway, uh, it took him three months to reach the foot of Mount Sinai. If anybody wants the scriptures, I have them. And Moses spent eight de 80 days on the mountain, as well as the interval between the two periods which Moses, Moses spent on the mountains. And um, the construction of the tabernacle and its furnishings, therefore, would have taken about six months. It's amazing. I mean, such a building with a profusion of costly... Workmanship that is beyond what we're probably even capable of doing today. It was finished in six months. And it's interesting. How could that be? Number one, the Lord is the one who guided them. But it tells us in this portion, it says, for the people had a mind to work. You know, that's often lacking today. My personal feeling is 
whatever your occupation is, you know, whether you're, you're, you're flipping hamburgers, hamburgers at McDonald's or you're uh, performing surgery or, or you're, you're building a, a great, you know, structure, whatever it might be, if you do what it says here, if you have a mind to work, you're going to succeed. Because you won't be flipping hamburgers very long. You'll be the manager. You follow what I'm saying? And so it's a matter of wherever God has called us to serve him, have a mind to work, and you'll succeed. Just like you will in any aspect of life. But so often, our mind is, how can I get out of work? <laughs> how can I take a shortcut? But we need to have a mind to work. And also, our, our heart should be that the Lord would give us this mind to work. Because it's not on our own, I don't believe anyway, that we can just conjure this up. Lord, give me a mind to work. Lord, put within my heart a desire to serve you fully, to be a, a hardworking man or woman. And um, it's interesting, too, because this whole tabernacle was set up, which was going to be a new way of worship for the Jews. All of Israel, I mean, there were 430 years. And, and in Scripture, sometimes people think it's a controversy because there are some Scriptures that says that there were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and then there are other portions of Scripture that tells us they were in Egypt for 430 years. There's no conflict. Anytime you look in Scripture and you think there's a conflict, it's just that we don't understand what's being talked about. They spent 30 years while Joseph was second only to Pharaoh, and they weren't slaves. They spent 30 years in Egypt living in Goshen in, in absolute peace. And it was after Joseph died... And remember what Scripture says? There arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And that's when they became slaves. They were slaves for 400 years, but they were in Egypt 430 years. You understand the point I'm making? So they never, I mean, they, they just didn't have the hope and the promise that they did now. Here's the tabernacle, and now the tabernacle was to be set up on the head of the year, the new year, which, like I said, would be our, our April, May. And what a beautiful thing it was when this new year began. They had a new beginning in their relationship with God and their ability to come in his presence and worship him. And think about what we do every new year. We make New Year's resolutions, promises to ourselves. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it's funny because almost every culture, whatever their new year might be, that is the attitude of people. This year is going to be different. Well, they, the children of Israel had that same hope. This is going to be different. We have a new year, and we have the tabernacle, a way that we can offer sacrifices and come into the presence of God. Now, I'm going to go a little bit out of order from what we just read because I'm going to talk about uh, the priesthood first, and then I'm going to talk about the way we enter in to the Holy of Holies. Now, um, the priesthood, we know, would continue until the coming of the Messiah. But after his resurrection, we're going to look at Scripture that testifies to this. After his resurrection, we all would become a royal priesthood. What an amazing promise that is. And, uh, and what is a priest? A priest is someone who stands the gap between man and God. 
In the Old Testament, it was the priest that offered the sacrifice, the priest that went in and offered the prayers, and then the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and, and offer the full sin sacrifice for the people. And so that was the priest's responsibility, to stand the gap between God and man. Now, you and I are a royal priesthood. Now, every one of us as believers, we are royal priests. Well, what does that mean? We also stand the gap between man and God. Well, how do we do that? It's evangelism. It's sharing our faith. I mean, we're around people all the time. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the Lord. They're not born again. We're the ones that are called of God to stand that gap, to be his witnesses in the world to share the truth. We're all evangelists. Therefore, go out and make disciples, you know, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We're his priests. We're called to go out and to minister the word of God. Now, the Jewish sacrifices were, uh, you know, in 70 A.D., the temple was destroyed by Titus Vespasian. And uh, when the Romans came in and they burnt the temple down completely and destroyed it. And the Jewish sacrificial worship was never uh, reinstituted again because according to the Jews, you had to have the temple in Jerusalem in order to offer sacrifices to God. And so when the temple was destroyed... The Jews were no longer able to offer sacrifice to God. And there's a lot of interesting things about that. Number one, I, I think the Lord was trying to show them that Jesus was the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. So each person, from their heart, are able to worship God and offer up you know, the confession of sin and to see all of their sins uh, redeemed and cleansed by God. What a beautiful thing it is to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. But another interesting thing is, is that we know, according to prophecy, that once again, you would have sacrifice taking place in Jerusalem, in the temple. In fact, that would take place during what's called the tribulation period. And also remember that since the destruction of the temple... They've never had a high priest. They've never had a high priest. Well, what's interesting is in Israel, the Sanhedrin, which is the religious court, not the Knesset, which is the political court, the Sanhedrin has elected a high priest. And we also know that they have uh, reconstructed all the furnishings and utensils for the temple. Did you know that? In fact, it's called the Temple Institute. And, and when we had been in Israel, we go to the Temple Institute. Everything's there. The menorah, brazen lever, everything's there. All the furnishings. And, of course, now there is a big move of trying to uh, find a way that the Jews could enter into sacrificial worship once again. Well, what does that speak to us? The Lord's return is near. We see... Everything being set up for a type of worship for the Jews that will only take place during the, the tribulation period. And we are gone before the tribulation period when the ministry, the main uh, heart of the ministry goes back to the Jews. Remember in Daniel, it says there are 
uh, 70 weeks that are appointed for your people, the Jews. 70 weeks of having your responsibility of the ministry. And if you follow that prophecy, it's amazing because when the Messiah is cut off, it's after 69 weeks of years, then it is the time of the Gentiles. And when the time of the Gentiles is completed, there is one more week of years or one more seven-year period that goes back into the hands of the Jews, which is what we call the tribulation. So if we see everything taking place in Israel, you know, a high priest, all the, all the furnishings for the, for the temple, and now there is a move wanting to, you know, make some kind of place on the temple mount where the Jews are able to set up. And understand, they don't need to have the temple. All they need is the tabernacle. Doesn't mean that they won't build a temple, but all they need is the tabernacle to start their actual sacrificial worship. And so what that points out to us is how close we are. It's like I mentioned, I, I think it was last week or it might have been during Wednesday Bible study. If you read some of the commentaries that go back before Israel became a nation, they messed Revelation up so bad in their commentary and their interpretation of it. And the reason they did is because you can't read Revelation without seeing that the Jews are in Israel and they're worshiping God through temple worship, sacrificial worship, and so these people that were writing commentaries prior to uh, Israel becoming a nation again, to them, in their mind, they're thinking, this is impossible to happen. Therefore, revelation must be taken in just a metaphorical way. It can't be taken literally because there is no Israel. There's no Jews. There's no temple. So it's the only way we can look at it. And now you and I are sitting in a place where we realize May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation. Miraculously, you want to read a book on the Arab-Israeli wars. It's absolutely amazing. It's a secular book, but it's absolutely amazing. I mean, on the day that Israel declared their independence, every Arab nation came against them. And there are so many just miraculous things. I shared with you last week about the American pilots the World, World War II pilots that went over there and literally stopped, three of them stopped the Egyptian army. Well, there's so many other things like that. I mean, things that you wouldn't even believe, where you had a whole division of Egyptian tanks coming against Israel, and they had two World War I tanks. And the Egyptians got out of the tanks and ran. And when they were questioned why they ran, they said, there's such a vast multitude of these, I don't know what they were with the Israelis. And of course, many people think they're angels. And they just ran. I mean, it's a miracle that Israel went beyond May 14, 1948. It's a miracle. Of course it is. And now, here they are, you know, the fourth nuclear power in the world. They have probably the best economy in the world. And it's absolutely amazing. And then people say, well, I think what Revelation just has to be taken symbolically or metaphorically. Wrong. Me. It's to be taken literally. And therefore, we can look at the book of Revelation and see the time in which we're living, which motivates us to be his witnesses, to be his evangelists in the world. Do you understand Jesus is coming back soon? And he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. 
I think that's a pretty clear scripture. Well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. That's what it means, eternal life. And so we have this responsibility to share our faith. And I I have shared this before, and I really believe it in all my heart, uh, is that we're going to see after the rapture of the church, after the church is taken out of the world, I think we're going to see one of the greatest revivals that have ever taken place on earth. And that's why you and I have such a great responsibility to share with people. Because there are many people we share with that think we're full of baloney. You know, especially when we talk about the rapture and we talk about, you know, the, the, you know, the Antichrist coming and, you know, the, the tribulation period. They think we're out of our minds. But when all of a sudden we're gone and the only explanation they're going to have is, well, we think that they were taken by aliens, you know, or something like that. And that's the only explanation they have. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to say, I remember those kooks telling me that this would happen. So where did they find that? In the Bible. And I think you're going to have a lot of people that are going to start searching scriptures and be born again during the tribulation period. So we have a great responsibility because we are the priests of God. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the holy of holies, the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We're not taking in the blood of bulls and rams and goats. We're taking in the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. He died for us. It's through Jesus Christ we enter in. And having a high priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ, let us draw near with a true heart, listen to this, in full assurance of faith. There's no doubts. Well, I hope, I wonder. Hey, you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, I hope so. I hope I'm good enough. No, no. You know that you may know you have eternal life, Scripture tells us. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. The water of what? His word. And then in 1 Peter 2, 9, it tells us what you and I are as believers. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're it. We're his special people. We're a royal priesthood. And we need to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I don't know about you. I knew I was in darkness. I can remember when I got saved. If I got saved, I don't know, a few weeks before I did, I thought she was nuts. It made me angry. I told her she was going to ruin our relationship. She might as well leave because it's not going to work out now that she's got all this koozie stuff in her head. But the thing is, it stirred something in me. So if I thought when she came in and, and told me about her salvation, I'd be going, oh, praise God, boy, I want that too. Instead, I went off on her. And I told her, you know, she's ruining everything. We had a good relationship. She's ruining everything. But the reality is I made a promise to God. And I, you've heard my testimony before. When I was 10 years old, that if he healed me, that when I grew up, I'd be a minister. And he healed me. The doctors had no explanation for it. When I was 10 years old, that was 64 years ago. They didn't have explanation for too many things back then. But anyway, they had no explanation for it, but it was the hand of God that healed me. And I put it off. 
because I was discouraged by people, but I put it off. But then after Vi got saved, it started stirring within me. And I remember it was before I was teaching at uh, Science at Horseheads High School at the time in Horseheads, New York. And I was standing at our window uh, getting ready to go to work, and I had my cup of coffee, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? I was thinking, what's wrong with me? I mean, I have just a great wife. I have two beautiful children, and I have a job that I love. And there's just such a darkness and something missing. What's wrong with me? And it just really bothered me. And then it wasn't too long after that that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and the light came flooding in. The light came flooding in, and all that darkness was dissipated, and all that discouragement was gone. And now I had the light of life in Jesus Christ. And, of course, that's what we're called to encourage other people in, to come out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's easy. Just do it. And then it says, you shall take the anointing oil. And this is for the priest. And the anointing oil was emblematic of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only way anyone can serve the Lord is by the Holy Spirit. For you and I as believers, there's no way you're going to serve the Lord other than by the Holy Spirit. You might go out and try to do all kinds of evangelism on your own, and the only success you're going to have is whatever you're, you're able to muster up. But if you're going out in the Spirit and taking the Word of God, people are going to get saved. People are going to see the truth. They're going to come to know the Lord because you've been anointed like the high priest with the holy oil of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we're operating in the Spirit, we're not operating in the flesh. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's that easy. Either you're in the flesh or in the Spirit, one or the other. Well, if I'm a believer, aren't I always in the, in the Spirit? No. Just because you're born again, and I'm thankful for being born again, I'm thankful, for, I'm thankful for the free gift of salvation, I'm thankful for the fact that I can enter in His presence anytime I want, but I would be remiss and I would not be telling the truth if I said to you, I never operate it in the flesh. It's so easy to operate in the Spirit as long as everything's going your way, as long as everything's the way you want it to be. And the minute something comes in, you start operating in the flesh. Well, we need to ask the Lord every time that happens to forgive us. If we confess our sin, remember my verse, he's faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful promise it is. And so our path to fellowship with God is through Jesus Christ. He's the one who leads the way. Therefore, he is the one that we follow into the most holy place. Because our destination is to be behind the veil from the holy place into the holy of holies, that we're in the presence of God, in his mercy seat, where his presence is, is seen by us through the Spirit. You know, in Mark chapter 15 and verse 38, it says, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Remember when Jesus, when he died and he said, to tell us that I paid in full. He gave up the spirit, and there was an earthquake, and it says that the curtain, which was probably about that thick, some people think thicker, just, just torn in two. And all of a sudden, there was an opening into the holiest of holies by Jesus Christ. And we have that ability to enter in now. 
And then in 2 Corinthians 3.14, it says, But their minds were blinded, talking about the Jews. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is only taken away by Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 10, 19 uh, through 20, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness, listen, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated to us through the veil, that is his flesh. Now, when it talks about boldness being able to enter into the holiest of holies, to be in the presence of God, it's not talking about arrogance. Some people say, well, I'm just going right in now through Jesus. No, it means confidence. That word boldness can also mean confidence. You don't have to worry. Well, how's it going? You can just enter right in. He's given you that confidence. You can enter right in to be with the Lord. And so our journey to God begins. Remember how the temple is all set up? And where all those tents are, and that is where the people dwell. You know, that was the camp of Israel where you see all those tents. That first curtain that goes around, as you can see, whoa. <laughs> the first curtain that goes around, that takes you into what's called the outer court. And entering into the outer court is when we come to a place, this is spiritually speaking now, where we realize, I'm tired of the world. I'm tired of what this world has to offer. I want to enter into the presence of God. And that's when you first go through the first gate. There's a curtain there that you go through. And as far as the tabernacle was concerned, that's where the, the children of Israel brought their sacrifices to God. And the priest would take them into the inner court. But anyway, for you and I, we enter through that veil into the court, you know, the outer court of the Holy of Holies by walking away from the world and seeking the truth of God. Because this world has nothing to offer us except trials and tribulations and tears and sorrow. But God offers us a hope that goes beyond all the things of, the, of this world. Now, then the next thing, well, let me just read this. I beseech you, brethren, I, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the uh, mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. <clears throat> so we offer the sacrifice. Here we go, Lord. I, I just want to enter in. I want to bring my sacrifice to you. Then we move on from there to the altar of burnt offerings. And the altar of burnt offerings, you can't really see it that well in here. But the first thing they did is, I wish I had my pointer, but just through the tent there, there's this altar, this bronze altar that was built. Remember, it had grates on it and, and so forth for the ashes to fall through. That's where the offering was actually given to God. And the thing that's so interesting to us, at least as believers, is that Jesus is our sacrifice. He's the one who offered himself. But because he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin... We're to offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Scripture tells us that. We're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. And um, then the next thing we have to do is then move on to the brazen uh, lever. What was the brazen lever? It was huge. I mean, it was probably be 
half the size of this platform. And it was a bronze lever that was polished so that you could see yourself in it, and it was filled with water. And that's where the priests washed before they went into the holy place. So that's the, the next step, and it's the final step before we go into the holy place. And what does it signify to us? It signifies that we can wash away the stain of our sin. See, even after our sin is forgiven, sometimes the stain of it remains on us. And the reason it was to be like a looking glass, so polished, is because when you looked into it, you saw yourself. And when you and I look into the brazen leather, uh, we see ourselves. We see what's still remaining. We see what the world has done to us. But then we have the water of the word that we're able to take and to wash ourselves clean, prepared to enter into the holy, to the holy place. And I love this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty powerful. But look at what verse 11 goes on to say. And such were some of you. That's what we were. That's what we were. But you have been washed. You were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Wow. What a beautiful thing. We can be washed clean of even the stain of sin before we enter into the holy place. You know, there's an interesting portion of Scripture in Ephesians. It talks about the water of the Word and the husband. And a lot of people read that portion of Scripture wrongly. They think it's the husband's responsibility to wash his wife with the water of the Word. That's not what it says. Let's read it. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Why don't you turn to it? Ephesians 5 and verse 25. The only thing that relates to husbands and, uh, and wives, how a husband is to behave towards his wife, is in verse 25. This is Ephesians 5, and look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus gave himself for the church. That's how a husband is to love his wife. Now, verse 26 is not referring to what a husband is supposed to do. It's telling us what Jesus did. That he, capital H, talking about Jesus, might sanctify and cleanse her, talking about the church, you and I, with the washing of water by the word. You want the stain of sin removed? You want to be washed clean by the brazen lever? Get into the word of God. How amazing when you read the word of God and you say, well, that applies to me. Wow, all of a sudden I'm looking in and I'm seeing a reflection from the brazen lever and realizing I'm dealing with this. This is referring to me. God, wash me with your word. Remove the stain. That's what's being talked about there. And then after being cleansed by the water of the word, we can then enter into the holy place. And the first thing we encounter in the holy place is the table of showbread. And the table of showbread is talking about the sacred bread that would come from God to man. And it's interesting because in John chapter 6, verses 48 through 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He that lives and believes in me never dies. I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Wow. Table of showbread. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the, li- for the life of the world. And then next, move over to the menorah. As I mentioned before, it was the only light in the holy place. Otherwise, it would be complete darkness. It was the only light. And how interesting that in John six twelve, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So in John, Jesus, Jesus is making the point, I'm the light of the world. But then in Matthew, he says to you and I as believers, you are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Wow. So the menorah represents the fact that Jesus Christ, the true light who has come into the world, pours his Holy Spirit in us that we might be a light to the world. Not our own light. We're reflecting the light of Jesus Christ. We're sharing with people what Jesus has done for us. That's the responsibility we have. We're not supposed to reflect religion. Religion is filled with so many fallacies and wrong teachings. We reflect the pure word of God to those around us. And then after that, we go... Uh, after the menorah, we go to the altar of incense. And it's so interesting because um, in Revelation chapter uh, 8 and verse 4, remember the incense was to represent prayer. The fragrance of the incense would go up to God as the prayers of the saints, it tells us. And so the next thing we do then is we go to the Lord in prayer. Because it's in prayer that we have that kind of fellowship with God and we come into his presence that we might be able to enter in eventually to the Holy of Holies. In Second, in First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. We go before the Lord, we go before the altar of incense, and we offer up our lives. Lord, Jesus, use me. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Use me, Lord. And then we're able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, we have the mercy seat of God. We've obtained mercy and forgiveness. For what purpose? Brothers and sisters, what is our reason for being Christians? Just to say we're Christians? Just to say, well, I have peace because I know God? You know. No, our purpose as Christians is to serve. We are all ministers of the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us. The word minister means servant. We are all servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Now, one of the things that's interesting, if you look at the whole approach to God, to his presence in the Holy of Holies. 
And this might mean nothing. Maybe it's just me or my imagination. But you have on the outside, you know, you have the altar sacrifice. You have the brazen lever. And then you go in and you have the showbread. And over here you have the, the candlesticks of the menorah. And then you go into the Holy of Holies. And if you draw a line, it's a cross. Might mean nothing, but it's just interesting, you know, that it forms a cross. If you drew a line of man's approach to God, he goes in, then you, over here, over here, then to the head, who is Jesus Christ. It's pretty amazing. So my encouragement, Lord, is that you would bless each one of my brothers and sisters that are here this morning, that you would in, just embolden them and encourage them to walk in all your ways, to not be distracted by this life and the things and the trinkets of this world, but to have a, a focus on you and to seek you in all your ways that they might lead people to salvation. Because, Lord, the only thing that we're going to take with us after death is our eternal souls. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us to bring people to a place where they have that assurance that their eternal souls are going to be with you in heaven for all eternity and not in the fires of hell. And so, Father, I pray that you would use us to minister to others. And, Father, I pray that if there are any here this morning who don't know you, they would really commit their lives to you. They talk to someone about being born again. And if there are those here, Lord, who are saved, but their life has been uh, just in mediocrity and, and unfaithfulness to you, I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage them to talk to a brother or sister who might give them advice and direction to be more committed to you. And so, Father, come by your Holy Spirit and minister your word, your cleansing power, and the prayer that I'm offering up. Lord, just minister, minister them to our hearts that we might serve you with all boldness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.